G'day all, Jess here. Welcome to episode 241, that's the right number, of the Green Throne podcast. And uh, today I'm going to be talking with a friend of mine, Aaliyah Hutchinson of Soap Cold. And the reason I actually invited Aaliyah to come on the show, and the reason I invited her to come on the show is because I've been watching her business for a number of years. And in the past year or so, she has done a professional rebrand everything down to changing the name of her business. It used to be Sailor Mouth Soaps, and now it is Soap Cult. And she actually hired a graphic designer to help her through this process of doing the rebrand. And she, I know she uh, found it really, really valuable and had learned a lot from the process and has had really great results uh, with the success of her business since the rebrand. So I wanted to invite her to come on the show and talk about that. And she um she actually emailed me after our chat to say that she forgot to mention in the episode the real reason why she finally made the decision to do this rebrand and i'll quote her here she says it was because i was cringing each time a customer posted an unboxing photo or video it was like watching a clown car of mismatched diy branding just pour out of boxes that was when i realized i wasn't proud of my products or what that unboxing experience was saying about the brand i knew it was time for a complete overhaul and i needed professional help to craft something cohesive and timeless that represented our values and was attractive to my target market which i think is an absolutely brilliant uh, thing to share with us because it, it shows that moment of realization you've probably all been through a period where you've gone should i make this change or not like this this change in my business move it in this direction we all go through these these periods in our businesses where these sort of moments hit us where we think okay it's time to make a change I know it's happened to me many times in my business and it tends to be you know a coalition of things coming together or an experience like Aaliyah talked about there where you just you see something or you think of something or you hear from a customer and it just clicks in your head and you're like right I need to change this thing it's not working anymore so in this episode we talk about exactly how she's gone through this process how she found the right person to work with you know um, how she um, worked out the branding with that person rather than kind of coming with a preconceived notion of what she wanted how the costing worked what the process was like so if you've ever been curious about the idea of you know getting someone to help you with branding you'll learn a lot from this episode and even if you want to do it yourself you'll still learn a lot from this episode about the process and the the sort of do's and don'ts of going through this process of doing a proper full rebrand even down to changing the name of your business but before we get into that if you're still at the beginning stages if you are you know you're running a business or you're thinking about running a business and you want to set up online good news my, my course Setup Shop is running again in October. Now, if you're not familiar with it, Setup Shop is a 30-day intensive course. I've been running it since 2013 and over 1,100 makers have taken this course and learnt the Setup Shop system. It works for online shops. It doesn't matter what venue you're using. It could be Etsy, WooCommerce, Shopify, um, anything. So I'm not teaching you um, specific tech stuff about any specific platform although I do mention some stuff related to Etsy because most people tend to to do Etsy the first time uh, just because it's 
cheaper and easier but everything I teach you in the course will work no matter what platform you want to use to set up your online shop the aim of the course is to basically take you past all of the pitfalls and issues and problems that people come up against when they're trying to do this and just it's a step-by-step system that will take you through everything you need to think about everything you need to do all the parts of your shop and business that you need to set up and get right so that it is all good from the beginning uh, it is starting at the beginning of october you can find out more by heading over to createandthrive.com forward slash set shop it is very affordable i charge as 85 australian dollars for this course plus gst if you're an australian resident so for those of you in you know the states that's something like 60 dollars uh, around that sort of mark and I do it very deliberately. I've always charged $85 for it. I always intend to charge that much for it. It is a very affordable course because my aim is to get as many people into this course and get their shop set up as as you know as many people as possible. I want to help as many makers as possible to do that. I could charge hundreds of dollars for this course and I know other people who've charged hundreds of dollars or more <laughs> for similar content in the past, but that is not my goal. My goal is to get you started. I want to get you up and running. I want you to get that business happening that you've been dreaming of. Now, this course is appropriate for those of you who've never set up an online shop before, and it's also appropriate for those of you who have an online shop but are just flailing around in the dark and, and really aren't confident that you've got things set up properly uh, or you want to sort of overhaul everything and make sure, update revamp whatever you want to do there and a a lot of the students who do take this course come back and do it over and over once you've paid once you can come back and do it with us as many times as you want every single time I run it it's a live course I run it for 30 days during that time you get a lesson a day via email and I do two Facebook lives in our private Facebook group as well so there's plenty of opportunity to chat with me in that Facebook group throughout the course and participate in those Facebook lives and you can come back. I usually run it twice a year, sort of around March, April and around September, October each year. So you can always come back and do it over and over again and just sort of come back and pick up bits that maybe you didn't quite get to the last time. Whatever, it's there for you. So if you'd like to take advantage of that, head on over to grantthrive.com forward slash setup shop and uh, you can sign up to get notified when registration opens which will be very soon so i would love to have you join me for that it's always awesome fun it's always a great bunch of people who are really positive enthusiastic about setting up their shops and i hope you can come and be one of them and join us in that community it's a great time of year to get set up if you can get that shop set up and open you might be able to get some christmas sales in there before the end of the year which would be fantastic as well all right Let's get on with today's show and chat with Leah. Do you want to grow a thriving, profitable handmade business? My name's Jess Van Den, and I'm here to help you do just that. I took my own handmade business full-time in 2010, and since 2013, I've helped thousands of makers, just like you, create and grow successful handmade businesses. So, are you ready to thrive? Let's get learning. I'm here today with the lovely Leah. Hello. Hi, thanks for having me. It's great to talk to you. We've actually met before at, uh, yes. was it the Brewstyle conference earlier, pre-COVID, well, just yeah. kind of. We just <laughs> made it, didn't we? Yeah, we just <laughs> made it like a week before everything got shut down, that happened, yeah. uh, which was a great event. So shout out to Brewstyle. Um, so yeah, it's, it was great to meet you, but we've known each other, on, or we've been aware of each other online for quite a bit longer than that. Yes, 
Yeah, I've been following yeah. you for probably 10 years now. I'd say. Holy moly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just so we both feel old. <laughs> yeah, I sometimes forget how long I've been in business. So, yeah, yeah that's, that was the very early days, well before I started Create and Thrive. That's when I was yes. just doing a ferial and occasionally writing a blog post about what I was learning and all that sort of jazz. So, yep. yeah, and you are a fellow Brizzy girl as well. So, yep, that's right. Nice. <laughs> and I wanted to bring Elia on the show today because obviously I've also been following her business for a couple of years and she made a very, very big shift in the last year or so. But we'll get to that. Before we get to that, let's dive into kind of a bit of a history of your business, where it started, when it started and why. Mm, Okay. So it's got funny roots (laughs) where it began. So it all started because I broke my leg (laughs) and yeah, I um, co-founded a a roller derby league and we were, you know, setting up the the league and, you know, just sort of doing everything ourselves. And I ended up uh, having an injury and being out for about, I think it was about six or seven weeks and I wasn't very good on crutches and I lived in a two story house. And by the time I finally had the cast off and I was able to go about my life, I was so stir crazy. I just wanted to get out into the yard and do some gardening. So I went to my local library and uh, tried to find a book on native gardening. And it, this was, you know, back when the Dewey system was still kind of a thing, you know, and I was looking in the, in the precise spot on the bookshelf for where this, uh, you know, book on native gardening should have been. And it was a book on soap making. And I thought, oh, this is interesting. Uh, and I, I opened it up and read it and I thought, you can make soap? Like, what? <laughs> what is this? Um, and I just took it as a bit of a sign. And uh, from there, I just became really, really quickly obsessed and started my business in the way that many people do, where you simply just have so much of the thing that you've been making that you can't possibly use it yourself. And you get encouragement from friends and family to start a business. And um, I started doing markets at our you know, roller derby bouts. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where it all, it all began. Wow. And what sort of year was this? This would have been about 2009, 2010. Yeah. Okay. So a good decade now you've been in business. Yep. That's exciting. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and I, lo- I love the serendipity of it all. Like it was a total accident. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it was so strange. And to this day, it still sort of makes me laugh a little bit because, I mean, it was a gardening section. It was nowhere near the craft, you know, <laughs> anything section. It, it just, it was so strange that it was precisely where this other book should have been. And mind you, that book on native gardening wasn't there. So, you know, there's just the randomness of the world sometimes yeah. is very funny. <laughs> an accident born out of an accident, basically. Yeah. that has turned out to be an awesome thing for you (laughs) so you started making soap um, and what did you call your business back then Uh, back then it was called sailor mouth soaps and I don't really know why I think it was probably it was probably rooted in like there was a real rockabilly uh, Mm. scene and trend around that time and I guess I was kind of involved so um, that and I I really like alliteration I like words that just flow really well together yeah. Um, so I think it, I think I actually put a call out to some friends. I think it was even on Facebook and I'm pretty sure my auntie might've come up with that name. Um, she ended up naming uh, several of our dogs too. So she's actually <laughs> pretty good with names. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. So did you have any intention of making this a full-time thing? 
Oh, not really, because I was pretty happy with the work I was doing at the time. Um, when I broke my leg, I was hairdressing at that point, um, mm-hmm. but I just wasn't able to go back to that particular job because I just couldn't be on my feet for 12 hours a day. Mm-hmm. You know, I was still having lots of, um, you know, issues with it, it healing right and it was still swollen for years um, oh, wow. afterwards. Mm. So that was kind of an issue. Um, so I started working at a tattoo shop doing uh, reception duties Mm because I could sit down a lot of the day and that was quite fun. Um, And then I ended up working for a cosmetic retailer and I really enjoyed that job. So it was never really, you know, meant to be anything more than a bit of like a side hustle, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just pretty much work on that business anytime I wasn't working any of those other paid jobs. Yeah. And at what point did that shift like was it a deliberate decision or did you just find you were getting so many orders that you're like right let's just go with this uh it was it was kind of a slow progression so Mm -hmm. i actually had a a bit of a break in between Mm -hmm. so the cosmetic retailer i was uh working for i ended up um being sort of headhunted to go down and work in sydney in their head office Mm -hmm. so that meant that i had to pretty much close up the business because i was concerned that there might be a bit of conflict of interest for me to be having uh, you know, cosmetic skincare type business while having, you know, access to more information than your average person would. So I made the conscious decision to, uh, you know, close up and I canceled my ABN and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And also I was going to be living in a tiny unit. So there was no way I could actually, you know, make product Mm -hmm. in the way that I had been. So yeah, it was only after I came back to Brisbane and I, I had a, a baby when I was down in Sydney mm-hmm. and I just wanted to do something that was just for me, that was just, you know, outside of motherhood and mm-hmm. outside of all that, that sort of stuff, uh, that the business starting that back up again uh, became something that I wanted to really pursue full time. And what sort of, what time frame was that by the time you made that decision, you come back to Brisbane? Oh, I think I came back in 2016. Okay. And so- yeah, a few years now. Yeah. So mm. I think it was probably by the time she was one, that was when I was like, right, I'm, I really miss the workforce. I miss doing something you know, <laughs> <laughs> that isn't, you know, the day to day caring yes. of children. I mean, I love it a bit, but you know, you really want to do things that are just for yourself. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and I needed that. I needed that creative outlet. I needed something that was just um, just for me. So I actually started another business at that point. It w- took me a little bit to get back into soap making. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had like a you know online crystal sort of retail shop amongst mm-hmm. a few other things. Um, yeah, and then from there, people were like, "Are you going to come back and sail a mouth because we really want to buy some soap?" And I thought, "Oh, <laughs> you know, maybe I'll follow the interest instead of mm. trying to." get traction on this thing that wasn't really taking off. Um, I'd follow where the interest was. And yeah, it's just gone really well ever since. That's a really interesting point because I've done that a lot in my own business, kind of you throw a lot of stuff at the wall and see what sticks and then mm. kind of run with that. And that's definitely paid off for me, sort of what, what people are buying, you know, what's popular, what what are people asking for within your niche, obviously, um, yeah. uh, and so that it's not too far outside of your, your um, wheelhouse. But uh, you, like your soaps back then, I believe, kind of when you relaunched Salamouth, I'm not sure if it was the same in the, originally, were quite unique. How did you sort of come up with your sort of soap um, style, I guess? Oh, it's been an evolution. Like when we first started, it was... Um, very much like 
kitschy quirky sort of things were very popular and I really enjoyed making soap that was like the shape of something else because mm-hmm. I quite like miniatures um and yeah I just found it like really cute to have like uh an ice cream soap or a little dog soap or any of that sort of stuff but I think as my tastes evolved and changed and I grew older that I just wanted to have something that was a bit more refined and a bit more elegant. And I was finding I was heading that way with Sailor Mouth, but I was really hobbled by the very DIY brand that Mm -hmm. I sort of created for myself accidentally. And I wasn't (laughs) happy with the way that it looked. Um, And I knew that I couldn't go in the direction I was wanting to go in unless the whole brand had a complete facelift. So you would like things were going well, you're making sales. At what point did you decide to make that big shift? When I realized that I just could not do labels myself anymore. And mm-hmm. that if I really was honest with myself, that was the most stressful part of the, um, the whole process, the whole job, the whole running a business, because there's lots of uh, rules and regulations around cosmetic labeling. And you've mm-hmm. got to be really careful about how things are um, done and because I had worked for large businesses before with art departments I sort of knew how things should look and I knew how things how I wanted them to look but I didn't have the skills to actually do it right um you know and I've been burnt with like semi-custom type things before you know where you get like a template that you can customize Mm. to a certain degree and stuff and uh you know that was just really holding me back and it was um so anxiety producing to have to create labels and the stress of like buying in the label paper and the stickers and then your printer just like not not printing where it should (laughs) and you've only got 20 of these labels you've only got 20 of these sheets and you have these mistakes and it was just oh it was all too much I'm like nope I need someone to this is this is ground zero (laughs) yeah we cannot go on like this I'll have to shut up shop because it's too stressful Mm -hmm. and was this kind of a full-time like successful to full-time thing at this stage? Not really. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not really. So the way that it came about is at the, uh, we were in the middle of selling a house and we actually ended up getting a little bit more um, money for the house than we had uh, anticipated. Mm-hmm. And I was like, how about we put a little bit of money aside and I rebrand my business <laughs> and like, you know, <laughs> really, really make a go of it because mm-hmm. I was sort of beginning to suspect that I would never be able to return to the traditional workforce and I was questioning whether I was even suitable for it. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, the only way that we can really make this a thing and have reliable income is, yeah, if we invest in it. So was that a terrifying decision to make to kind of shut down what you'd already created and basically almost start a whole new business, even though I'm sure you brought some customers with you? No, I think it was probably more scary for my husband (laughs) because, (laughs) you know, he was, he was taking it on good faith that I wasn't about to lose a lot of money. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, No, I always had confidence that I could make it work. It was just a matter of having the right resources there in order for it to, um, to actually grow the way that it needed to. I'd sort of hit that that uh, glass ceiling as to where mm-hmm. I could go with all the DIY stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, and some people thought it was fine. Like I remember my sister was like, why are you rebranding and spending all that money? Like it, it's fine. I said, yeah, you don't get it. <laughs> it's not fine for me. And, you know, I'm fatigued by it and I have mm. to be invigorated by my brand and it, I have to, you know, that has to frame some of my creativity and I, I just I just can't keep on going the way I was going yeah I, I think I've, I know that feeling um, I've been there with my own brands before where you just feel like this is not reflecting what I want it to reflect and I don't know how to fix it myself 
Yeah, and I'm not attracting <laughs> the right the right people. I, right, I haven't really yeah. found my 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 core niche. Don't quite know how to find me just yet. Mm-hmm. So, what did you like? How did you start about finding somebody to help you with this? Did you sort of have connections, or how did you find the right designer? I pretty much put a bit of a call out for anyone that I had worked with before in a professional capacity and was like, Hey, do you know any graphic designers that uh, specialize in uh, brand development? Mm-hmm. And the answer was pretty much no. So I thought, all right. Um, I started Googling and looking on Instagram and I ended up asking in uh, a small Facebook group and uh, the girl who ended up becoming my d- designer replied back and she's like, Oh, Hey, you know, I work with really quirky brands. I'd, I'd love to chat. I'm like, Oh, great. Uh, so it was really just from putting it out there in a Facebook group. And there was a lot of um, a lot of suggestions that were pretty much copy and paste, you know, that they weren't really addressing the core issue that I was, you know, looking for. And you, you'll get lots of cold calls sort of mm. thing when you, when you put it out there into a, a big group of people. Um, but, yeah, the right person just found me. It was great. So this was not just like, oh, can you just like pick a font and new colours? Like this was a full on, let's come up with a name, a concept, all that sort of jazz? Yes, yes. This was very, very in-depth. I think we worked on this. I've been working with her now for near on 12 months and we're still working on projects together. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, so it was very chunky. So we approached it in two different ways. And I just sort of said to her, look, this is this is where I'm at with my business. This is where I think I have the potential to uh, grow and I need improvement in these areas. And, uh, you know, these are my biggest pain points and this is what I'm wanting to achieve um, you know, and we just had like really in-depth conversations about the overall goals. Like mm-hmm. we didn't start talking at all about how it should look because, um, you know, that's not up to me. That's up to the designer who spent years at university to learn all those mm-hmm. <laughs> principles. Mm-hmm. I was more just making sure that we were both on the same page about the real uh, core important values that sort of underpinned the whole thing and for her to understand my um, my business and what I'm all about and, yeah, it was a very communication heavy, which I think is very important. Yeah, because there's a, I mean, I've worked with a graphic designer before, but it was more of the sort of, I'll make you this thing and that thing. And so it was, you know, a set price and all that sort of thing. So how did you, uh, did she like come at you with a, here's my package, or did you kind of negotiate uh, some sort of ongoing payment structure? Like what was the the process behind that? Uh, first time it was, here's the package and here's what I do. And there were some things that I didn't really need. So we negotiated that we would, um, you know, do some other elements instead. Like, for example, I, I didn't, I can't remember what it was that I didn't really need. But we ended up negotiating that I would get like uh, Pinterest templates instead, you know, so right. I, could, I could pin things on Pinterest in just like a branded way. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so it's it was very much here's what I do, but we can, we can adjust it in, in any way that better suits your business. It was more of a, a guide. I'd yeah. Say. Yeah. And so th- talking about like the, the ongoing and branding and, and so on and so forth, was there, was there a lot of sort of backwards and forwards with the branding elements or did it come together quite easily? Uh, it came together quite easily because what she did was uh, put together like three complete brands for me that I was able to choose from. So once right. we'd had all of those really in-depth conversations and we'd spoken about 
my goals and what I like and the sort of general vibe and aesthetic I was going for, she, she went off and did lots of research and um, yeah, basically came up with three complete directions that we could go in that were all amazing, um, but all quite, quite different. And so I ended up picking something that was heading more in that like a cult secret society kind of vibe. Mm-hmm. Hence the name. So soap yes. cult. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Very unique. So um, I think what's interesting about your new brand that I found when I went is it definitely, fa- it's so simple, but it's also just so professional looking. Mm, and I think that's yes. probably what you were going for. Yeah, because I didn't want it to age. You know, mm-hmm. I, I had been sort of stuck in that um, when something, you know, you know, when you're, I'm just going to put it in like home decor um, <laughs> terms because that's how I think about things sometimes. You know, when you look at a bathroom in someone's house that they're selling and it's like, well, that was tiled in 2002. Yeah. And you can just tell, you know, it's got a date stamp on it. And that's kind of what was happening with Salem Out. So um, one of the cool things about my designer is that she doesn't really follow um, the current trends. It's more about mm. creating something that is is solid design that will last you for 10 years or more mm-hmm. so that that investment really pays off over time. And, yeah, so there's a lovely simplicity, uh, simplicity in the brand. Um, but there's also lots of really engaging details when you look hard enough. It's, it's mm-hmm. this wonderful mix of the two. Yeah, I love, like, the photos you have for the, you know, for all the sections and stuff like that. I'm like, did you get those photos done or did they get found somewhere? Like they're so unique. Oh, uh, well, actually part of it was uh, they were, they're basically just like free ones from Unsplash and a few mm-hmm. other ones on the internet. But the way that I was able to choose them so that they made sense in relation to the brand was that she put together a very comprehensive style guide for me. Right. So I know how things should look at every point, which is really important because otherwise I'll just kind of get in like, a, oh no, I haven't scheduled my social media for this month. I'll just quickly <laughs> smash it out. And then before you know it over time, you've drifted away from your core message. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was really good. So that you're, you're just given all the tools that you need. Yeah. And it makes everything coherent and cohesive across all of your marketing platforms. Yes. Yes. So I think this is why if you don't, those of you listening, if you don't have a style guide for your business, it's definitely an important thing to create. Uh, It can be simple or it can be very, very complex, but, you know, things like what fonts you use, what colours you use, what sort of language you use in your marketing. There's, I mean, there's so many more elements, but otherwise it can just be a mishmash all over the place. Mm, For sure. So uh, would you say that you have, when did you kind of, I know it was not that long ago that you did like the proper relaunch. Mm-hmm. Um, how did that all go? How did that process go? Uh, it took a lot longer than I thought and it was entirely me. <laughs> <laughs> so my designer was ready like months before I was able to launch. <laughs> months. <laughs> because... Um, you know, I just, as much as I, as much as I think that I'm a planner, there's just stuff that comes up that you can't anticipate. And especially mm. if your health is in any way compromised during that time or, you know, little people that you care for or other people in your life that, you know, get sick, um, you know, you just have to, you just have to adjust your, your timelines. You can't, you can't possibly stick to the same timeline. So like initially I had wanted to relaunch for Valentine's Day. Mm-hmm. And really capitalize on that time of year. 
but it just, yeah, it wasn't possible. Like I had, I had the entire brand ready to go, you know, it would have been handed over. We'd even started out and completed our second project with all the you know packaging and labels. Um, yeah, but I just wasn't ready. <laughs> I just had so much on the back end to do that I had not anticipated. So I think you really have to allow more time, way more time than you think you'll need because I'm always very optimistic about how long things take and yeah, <laughs> it doesn't work out. <laughs> Think how much time it's going to take and double it is my usual rule. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah, yeah. Just to, just to account, <laughs> account for all of those little things or big things that pop up. Um, obviously, COVID popped up as well, which uh, now I'm curious as, as a soap maker, mm. has that actually been a positive for your business, do you think? Have you found more people buying more soap? Well, they are, but I'm not sure if it's to do with COVID or it's to do with the rebrands. Like I uh -huh. think it's most likely to do with the rebrand rather than COVID because we have got a fairly, you know, premium luxury soap mm. brand. So it's not accessible to everyone. It's not, it's not the same pricing that you'd see at Coles or anything like that. Mm -hmm. um, so I think, but it, it probably, I am getting lots more gift sales at the mm. moment. So people are probably giving soap. It probably does seem like a very, you know, practical gift at this time <laughs> yes <laughs> so I'd say yeah that's definitely helped it but it did stop me in my tracks and I, I really began to doubt myself I'm like oh is this even is this in any way a smart time to try and rebrand like to try mm. and launch you know in the middle of this with everything going on is this the right time and then I thought you know we can't all sit and watch the news all day long and be mm. depressed and scared you know I'm spending time on social media to escape just for, even for a few minutes, what's, you know, happening in the world. And I really like online shopping and I really like window shopping and browsing things. And I was mm. like, if I like it, I'm sure other people must, must want to do that. So maybe it's not crazy. <laughs> yeah. And so when did you actually do the relaunch? Officially? It was the 1st of June. 1st of June. Yeah. So we're recording this at the near the end of August of the same year, just for future reference, anybody listening. So it's been a couple of months now, June, July, August, you've had a few months sort of of the rebrand. Um, I think an interesting point to make for those of you who aren't familiar with it, I know a lot of you probably are, is that around March, sort of online sales and, and retail sales kind of fell off a cliff for a short period of time. But at, come April, online sales just like shot up into the stratosphere um, because everybody was stuck at home and everybody had to shop online. And uh, that, especially here in Australia, I'm not sure about overseas, although I'm sure the trend probably did happen overseas as well. Um, I know in our business, we saw a huge, a very unexpected, <laughs> huge <laughs> jump in sales sort of April, May, June, uh, because we, like after March, we expected it to go the other way. We, you know, we had to reduce the number of countries we were shipping to. Mm. We had to add, we had to add uh, tracked shipping to, for our international items, and that's like shot the shipping price up because I used to do free shipping. And so we were like, "Well, this is going to tank our business for the foreseeable future." But it, surprisingly, it hasn't. And I've heard the same thing from a lot of other people that, um, you know, online shopping has definitely been on the up and up. And I think we've, I think this has definitely forced a bit of a cultural shift in the way people do shop. And I think going forwards just more people are going to be shopping online more and more. Yeah. And it gives you, if you're a, a retailer, an online handmade retailer, any kind of business, it encourages you to really think in a different way and stop being so lazy with your copy because mm. no one can personally see your product. They can't really, they, they can't pick it up. They can't touch it. They can't feel it. They can't do any of those things. So you have to challenge yourself and try and answer all of customers' questions and objections in a very short 
space <laughs> whilst not being overwhelming um, and just try and provide really good service in other ways, you know. So I think for the retailers that are able to take that, oh, what's, what am I trying to say? Want to take advantage of it in the right way, in the way that they can best serve their customer. There's a lot of opportunity there because people want to be taken care of and they want to feel special and they want to, you know, they want to have their questions answered. Yeah, absolutely. I think you like customer service, no matter what is, is queen, you know, that is the Mm -hmm. thing that will make or break your business. Um, And by by customer service, it doesn't mean you just roll over and kind of let the customer win or, you know, get everything they they want necessarily. You know, you have to have policies, you have to have procedures in place, but it's how you, how you treat them, um, you know, can make a huge difference. And I've talked about this in other episodes before, just little things, have that handwritten note in the parcel, send every customer a thank you message, you know, little things that can make a huge difference in the long run. And just making sure like that you reinforce your branding in, like you said, in your, in your copy, in your customer communication can really kind of help people to warm up to you and, and feel like they're being taken care of. Yes. Yeah. And especially if you're including anything in your orders that might be uh, like printed by someone else, it really helps if it is across your brand as well. Mm. Um, one of the things that we did on our second project was we had some uh, completely bespoke uh, packaging that was, well, semi, semi-custom packaging that was created for us so that when a customer opens up a parcel, the unboxing is an experience. Mm. Um, and they've got all these beautiful elements and things that are nice enough that I I cannot foresee them going in the bin. I really think like they're fridge worthy and I wanted something that was fridge worthy. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> that's another way to just sort of, uh, you know, have those, those, those brand touch points because then there's a reminder somewhere else in their home about something they have purchased previously. And, you know, that doesn't hurt. No, definitely doesn't hurt. Now, I also noticed that you're not only selling your own products now, you're actually collaborating with other people. How did that come about? Or were you already doing that previously? Um, ooh, there's a few. Well, see, I've got a few projects on the go, so I'm not actually sure specifically what you're talking about. <laughs> oh, I thought it was like some of the, um, you know, like um, cleaning oh, what are they called? The scrubbing brushy things or the, oh, like, right. the, the, the like accessories. Yes, yes, yes. The accessories. Yeah, that was um, yeah something that I wanted to have because I, I was noticing, mm, what's the best way to explain this? I wanted to have a bit more of a cohesive place to shop for things of that category. So when I want to buy something on a website, I'm typically trying to get to like the free shipping you know, limit. So I'm always thinking like, what else do I need? What else could I buy? (laughs) So I wanted to have other things there for people so that if they wanted to, they could have these little add-ons that might be for a gift or it might be for themselves. Um, But having said that, they also have to be in line with my personal and brand ethics. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm really picky about what I choose to, um, to sell alongside my products. So you've done so much work in your brand. Can you encapsulate it for us? What is your brand all about? Mm. It is, <laughs> I guess, soap for the weirdos that never grew out of the goth phase. People that <laughs> I love it. 
you know, so like we all kind of self-identify as, as weirdos in like one way or another. And we might've been a bit like alternative when we were in school, uh, you know, or when we were, we were older. And then as we grew up and our lives changed, you know, the gray hairs are setting in, you might have kids, you might have a really busy career or other commitments and all that sort of stuff. And you don't have a lot of time for yourself or other ways to express your individuality. Uh, and I, I'm a very practical person at heart. So having a product that does that, which is also very useful is just, mm -hmm. um, it kind of works with the way that my brain works, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. So yeah. yeah, it's a brand that's very, you know, witchy occult, uh, secret society vibe, uh, in premium, luxurious handmade soap. And there's an eco element to it too. Yes. Yes. Um, I've had brand guidelines right from the word go pretty much. We don't use palm oil. We're completely vegan. Everything's cruelty free. Um, I, I don't like to use uh, packaging that can't be recycled or is biodegradable. So mm -hmm. in a lot of ways that does actually limit us at this present point in time to solid soaps because mm -hmm. I can't quite find um, the packaging that I need for under like 10,000 or 100,000 minimum order quantity <laughs> that would allow me to have anything that wasn't solid. <laughs> so, That's slightly terrifying so. numbers. Yes, yes, I'm definitely not there yet to commit to, um, you know, printed baggies <laughs> that would hold a softer product. Yeah. Um, yeah. So is that, do you have at this point, first of all, how's it going? The brand? Yeah, yeah the, the brand, the, the re, yeah, the business, how's it all going at this point? Uh, uh, my sales are up 262%. Holy moly. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. It, it, it has just completely changed my life. Like it, it's, it's hard to express. I've got, I've got actual numbers here. I actually crunch some numbers. Um, Throw them at me. Preparation for today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so let's see. The store sessions have gone up by, um, well, here's where it gets interesting because if I compare it to the previous period before we launched or compared to uh, the same time last year, the numbers are, you know, do, do vary somewhat. Um, but I mean, like my conversion rate has gone up by 58%. That's pretty incredible. Mm -hmm. um, the average order value has gone up by 40%. Wow. Uh, number of orders have increased by 157%. You know, so I've gone from like packing a few orders a week and thinking this was great to, you know, getting a lot in through each day and just like, whoa, <laughs> what's happening? I'm so used to this just being when we would launch a new collection, but now it's, it's very consistent, which is, mm -hmm. um, which is wonderful. Um, but even, yeah, like traffic to the websites, huge. Interestingly enough, um, we did have a drop in returning customer rate that mm. did um, drop by 2%, but that's because I grew so many new customers. So the actual mm. drop off, I know that's probably something that people might be concerned about when they go through a rebrand is losing their existing customers. Mm. It was actually a very small percentage. Yeah, definitely. So, mm. okay, let's talk about marketing. How, what, what went along with the rebrand? How have you been marketing and how has it changed if it's changed from what you were doing previously? it's more consistent and strategic. So I used to just kind of post on Instagram or Facebook when I had the time or when mm -hmm. I would think about it. And I didn't have, um, I didn't have any overall plan about like what the message was of that month or who I'm trying to speak to or any of that kind of stuff. Um, and now I'm just a bit more savvy about the hashtags that I'm using, like the, the frequency that I'm posting, how I'm engaging with, um, my customers on social media. Um, the, I've 
I've always been fairly consistent with email marketing. When I say always, I mean like maybe the last two years. <laughs> Before then I was a bit, you know, inconsistent. But now I typically send out about two per month. Um, you know, and I, I have a good consistent returns from that and I've got regular people signing up for the mailing list, which is great. So I think, yeah, the marketing really with me being more consistent and more intentional about the message that I was putting out there, it's, it's starting to do quite well. But having said that, I haven't really started playing with paid ads yet. Mm-hmm. So um, that'll be like the next step that I'll be going down. And are you seeing most people coming through from like organic search SEO or like Instagram, Pinterest, sort of where, what's the main traffic driver at this point in time? At the moment, it's Instagram, which is great because I've been putting a lot more um, effort into Instagram. Mm -hmm. I do still post to uh, Pinterest quite regularly and I love using Tailwind so I can, you know, schedule things in advance and um, do it that way. Uh, I'm getting a bit more traffic now from Etsy because Mm -hmm. I think it's probably just been in the last two months now that I've um, started up my Etsy store. So I'm getting lots of consistent orders through there and a lot of organic traffic that way, which is yeah, which is great. But I think like the early work that I unintentionally did on SEO is helping somewhat as well. Yeah. So you've, you've, you've got your own website and that's kind of the main mm-hmm. event. What made you decide to also have an Etsy store? Because when I search for something handmade, I'm going to Etsy. Uh-huh. I'm not trying to, <laughs> I'm not trying to find them on Google because I know that very small makers are not going to have a website that has got enough Google juice to really be found. Mm. Um, you know, I'm not going to scroll through 10 pages to find them. So that's, um, yeah, the place that I go to. And I was, I was trying to be a bit strategic about it. I was like, okay, if I was an editor of a magazine and I was mm. looking for a particular type of product to go into this you know, spread feature, I'd be going to Etsy. I'd be searching through Etsy. So I just wanted to be where my customers were. Yeah, I 100% support that. That's exactly my reasoning for being there as well. Um, And I can't stress enough how useful it is to be there just to take advantage of the traffic that they send you. Sure, you pay for it, but, you know, it it works. (laughs) Yeah, I'm shocked at how much traffic I'm getting from there. I just thought to myself, you idiot, why didn't you do this sooner? I was so caught up in like, oh, but I don't like this about them. I'm like, yeah, but I don't personally like eBay either, but I shop there and my customers are going to do the same. Yeah. And that that is the thing to remember. Like if you do want to be successful, you need to think about where your customers are going to shop, which is Mm. the perspective you came from. And it um, has definitely been working, you know, if you, because you have done such a great job on your rebrand and, you know, your your product photos and everything, you're going to stand out in the competition and, um, that's that's the key really to success on Etsy, having amazing photos and having really good SEO. And if you do those two things, chances are you're going to do pretty well. Mm-hmm. Very true. And what do you what would you say has been kind of the biggest challenge throughout this process of, of the rebrand? What what could you, if you had you know you could change it or you could warn people about it or you know was there anything that sort of surprised you or you found frustrating in the process? I think having it's really important to have a stretch budget set aside because you never quite know what things are going to cost. And what I found is when it came to um, getting all of my elements uh, printed, um, that was more costly than I had anticipated. So that was probably the biggest surprise was that I hadn't really allowed for any, I just wasn't generous enough with my printing budget pretty much. 
Okay. So did you like, did you kind of have any rules about like, did you want to stay print in Australia or are you just kind of going for who has the, the, the best um, product that I need, you know, the, the eco-friendly or whatever? Generally, my preference is always to print in Australia. Um, even though I know that it's going to be a little bit more expensive, I'd like to support other Australian businesses. And I'm just very conscious of the carbon emissions when right. you know yeah. things are coming from other countries. And it it just sort of worked out that around this time, you know, we could see that COVID was pretty was hitting pretty bad overseas, and it just made that decision a little bit easier that we didn't want to be messing about with international shipping at that time. Yeah. You know, <laughs> really like spending thousands of dollars on on printed elements and then having them go missing. <laughs> yeah. You know, that was that just would have been um, a disaster. So we ended up going through some local printers in Australia with um, varying degrees of success. Mm-hmm. Um, there was one local printer that I ended up having uh, a problem with. And on the day of launch, I was, you know, driving an hour from home to let go and physically pick up the labels <laughs> because they were not ready at the promised time. And, oh, no. and then there was like misprints and trouble with them not being cut right. So, you know, that was a bit stressful. So I think, yeah, probably having a bit more of a stress budget, um, stretch budget and having more like, more time for the other contingency problems that you may not Mm -hmm. have considered at all that you know things could just be misprinted or you know not cut properly yeah relying on other people you have to kind of think that in I remember when I used to make bespoke my little magazine I certainly had a few uh (laughs) a few issues (laughs) with a few issues with my printer once or twice uh but they always fixed it thankfully but uh, yeah, it can be a stressful, a stressful thing when you get a, a box of stuff and you're like, mm, this is not quite right. What have you done? Yes, <laughs> that's right. Uh, and you want to obviously make sure if you are working with a company like that, that they have a good policy on fixing things and they're not going to mm. mess you around. Um, okay. So do you have, along with this whole branding process, I'm assuming you had to do some deep thinking about like what you actually wanted your business to be and where you wanted it to go and why you were doing it in the first place. So do you have sort of a a very clear vision of where you want it to go? Yes. And I, I, I did, I thought I did, but it was only after I actually did the brand questionnaire that my designer sent through to me that I was actually, uh, you know, faced with some questions that I hadn't, I hadn't actually encountered before. Mm. (laughs) So in the end, it was really beneficial just even from like uh, getting things right in my head to, to go through that process because mm-hmm. it does force you to think about the future and it does force you to think about, you know, what your goals are and what you want out of your business and what's not working and, you know, what what is life going to look like in five years? Like where do mm. you want it to be? Um, so you have yeah. a kind of a clearer idea of that than you did before? Yes. Yes, I do. Yes, I, I do. And just because I'm, I'm always uh, nosy, what's sort of what's your sort of daily life like these days? Like, so what's your sort of how much do you work? Do you I mean, are you still like the main carer for your your babe? Mm. Like, how does that all work? Yeah, it's a bit it's a bit strange. So my my kind of weekends are Monday and Tuesday, but that just means that's what I'm looking after my daughter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so um, pretty much when she goes down for a rest or at night time, that's when I'll work. So I probably get about four hours a day of, you know, work in Monday to Tuesday and she's up at five, you know, so mm-hmm. the days are, the days start very early. <laughs> um, and then on Wednesday, my husband actually has, um, uh, with COVID, his uh, work days cut back uh, right. one day per day. And then he's made the decision to, to continue doing the four days per week 
um, so that he can spend more time with her before she sort of starts the whole like kindy and then school process, you know, yeah. that studies yeah. for the next like 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> so he's, he sort of got her um, for the whole day on Wednesday. So that becomes one of my work days. And then she's in daycare Thursday, Friday, and then around family commitments, I'll work Saturday, Sunday. So mm-hmm. we're always all pretty much here in the house. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, it's never like completely focused time. If I have 30 or 45 minutes without an interruption, that's pretty good, mm-hmm. but that's, you know, I just have to sort of stretch the time out, um, and just deal with interruptions and noise and all that kind of stuff. Cause mm-hmm. yeah, I really can't go to the library at the moment. That used to be my thing. I'd go to yeah. the library on the weekend and just like book out a room and, you know, really smash out some work, but yeah, things are different now. <laughs> so your husband's working from home as well at the moment? Yes, yes, mm-hmm. but he will be going back into the office next year and then right. my daughter will be in uh, kindy. So we'll okay. have, yeah, things will be different. So funnily enough, this year is actually probably the most, um, uh, probably the easiest um, time that we're going to have in terms of scheduling. I think it'll be more mm-hmm. challenging next year. Yeah, when people are going places again <laughs> yep. and you have to yep. juggle juggle things like that. And, um, like, are you are you happy with sort of the level of workload that you're you're doing right now? Is it something you want to you you want to change in the future? Like, do you want to kind of have less workload or more workload? Do you want to expand and actually bring more more people on board? Like, what's the goal? Mm, I'd like to have more time to work, uh-huh, <laughs> definitely. Yep. But that's also because I, I'm in that stage where. Uh, and I know everything is a stage and it's all transitional and things will eventually change. But I'm st- at this point, I'm just like so invigorated by my business that I want to be working mm. on it kind of whenever I possibly can. Yeah. Um, but long term, I mean, part of the reason why I have the business is because I want to have flexibility and I want to be able to, you know, just drop what I'm doing and go and do something else if I need to. So I would like that to continue. Um probably I can't really envision having any staff in the next five years or anything like that. If I mm. did, it would probably be like an offsite VA, you know, yeah. someone that I would start to do little bits of work with other people and, you know, possibly get like my bookkeeping outsourced completely. Um, I would also like to get some professional photos done that, you know, were just done and I could, mm. I didn't have to like photograph everything myself yeah. at the moment. Um, yeah. So I think I'd have like people, involved but not like as a not as a paid employee more like an ad hoc basis Mm. yeah a contractor or something like that yeah yeah so through all of this process through the the 10 plus years you've been you've been playing around with this whole business thing what's kind of the biggest piece of advice that you would give other people if they wanted to do the same thing I think just do it. <laughs> I think just do it, you know, but like approach it in a very measured way. So feet first, not head first. So there's absolutely nothing wrong with maintaining your, um, you know, current employment, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if, if you have that and then having something as a business that you build up over time on the side, because I would still kind of consider my business to be like part time, even though I am working at it full time. Mm. Uh, and you know, there's so many ways to do it. I don't think people need to think of like, oh, I'll just quit my day job and start doing, you know, my business full time. I think that could be a little bit uh, perilous. You know, it's not always yes. easy to get everything <laughs> around. And especially if you're, you know, if your income is really like relied upon within your, you know, family group structure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that can be a little bit 
uh, challenging, but I think, yeah, just do it. But really don't look at your competitors. Mm. that's that's problematic in itself too because you'll get derailed and you'll start that terrible toxic comparison <laughs> syndrome and you'll start mm-hmm. to imagine all these things that aren't really going on and you know i think you just think so far into the the future that it doesn't really matter what other people are doing you're so mm. sort of focused on what you're you're all about that you know you just don't get derailed yeah yeah, I can't remember the last time I looked at my competitors. It's interesting because I think it, not that I've been to business school, but I get the impression that they're like all about doing a competitor, you know, com- an analysis with your competitors and blah, blah. But I, I feel like that's for like big businesses where there's like two or three in the space. When you're a small business, there's like 11 billion of people in the space and there's not really much point in looking what other people are doing, except maybe at the beginning, you know, you want to get an idea of what what's out there and what, maybe where you could, differentiate yourself from other people um but once yeah. you figure once you figure that out just roll with it run with it and that's right thing. It, it, if you do it strategically if you're like okay i'm going to see what what hashtags people are using on instagram and you know what different accounts are, are doing just to keep like a general tab i suppose on your on the the space because like i wouldn't really consider other soap makers to be a competitor i'd probably consider Mm. candle makers or people that sell crystals or people that do you know any number of other things that um you know might encourage someone to spend their play money with them rather than with me Mm -hmm. (laughs) so you know you've got to think a bit broader about what a competitor is as well and um, only really peak if you're if you've got a strategic reason for it yeah, that's a really interesting point. Like you, you're thinking more about who your ideal customer is and what they might spend their money on rather than someone buying soap from someone else. Yeah, Which is, I yeah. think, a really intelligent way of doing it. There's billions of people in the world. They've all got to be clean. So, you know, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm really happy there's other soap makers out there because I can't, I can't serve everyone. No, absolutely. No. <laughs> now, did you uh, happen to bring a quote along that inspires and or motivates you today? Uh, yes, I, I have two and they're, they're actually just very simple things that I tend to say to myself quite often and they're somewhat cheesy, but I think they, they stand the test of time okay. that the best is yet to come, you know? So it's that optimistic belief that even though today might be hard, tomorrow's going to be better. And there's always things that you can do to help move yourself in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's really important for us all to be an optimist right now because mm. Things are challenging. They really are. And, you know, uh, some people are experiencing this far worse than others. Um, But I think the way that we all have to move forward ourselves, you know, for our own mental health as well is to, is to, yeah, just believe that the best is yet to come. And you haven't peaked, you know, like Mm. there's still awesome things that are out there for you. Um, And just the other one that just very simple, done is better than perfect. But, (laughs) but. (laughs) Oh, that's (laughs) a but. Oh, there's a but. <laughs> My caveat to that is that you can't just like do it and never come back to it, you know, because mm. like I'm with my photography, it's done. Some photos are way better than others and I'm not happy with some of them. And I, I will circle back and I will come back to it, but you can't ever sort of forget about it just because it is done. You know, mm-hmm. there's always got to be that, that continuous improvement mindset. I like that. I think that's a really, it's like an upward spiral. Yeah. You come back to the same point, but you're a bit higher higher up than you were before with a bit more knowledge and a bit more experience and kind of able to do it a little bit better than last time. Yeah, and just try and stay out of that whole perfectionist trap because 
Um, <laughs> what you think is, is perfect now is not going to look perfect to you in 12 months. And what I thought was perfect three years ago is just like, oh, it's not perfect to me now. So, you know, things will change your, yeah, just it, it'll stop you from doing anything if you're so worried about uh, being perfect. And I'm such a recovering perfectionist. I didn't actually <laughs> realise that there was like a type C personality. Oh, I thought okay. I was a type A and I've read up on type C and I'm like, oh, I'm a type C, which is like uh, everything about a type A, but with so much more anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> I think I know a few people like that. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'm trying to sort of move out of that, that perfectionist headspace because, you know, otherwise I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have relaunched. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have done any of this stuff. I wouldn't have rebranded, you know, cause I was so worried about it not being perfect, mm-hmm. but yeah, it just, it can't stop you. It just can't. Could you imagine if all these wonderful musicians and, you know, poets and, uh, just writers just didn't put anything out into the world or artists because they didn't think it was perfect. Like the world would be so gray. It would, it would be a very sad place, Mm. very dull place. So that's it. Done is better than perfect, but make sure to come back if you need to fix it up. Yeah, (laughs) Keep circling around, make it a spiral. (laughs) Excellent. So Aaliyah, where can people go to find your work online? Ah, So you can find me at soapcult.com.au. On social media, I am as Soap Cult Australia. Um, and if anyone is interested in any more detail about the whole rebranding process, I have got a blog about that on my website as well because I have had quite a few questions about mm-hmm. how to hire a designer and what a rebrand looks like and what you should be um, you know, trying to do, some little tips and tricks. So that might be a valuable resource for people as well. And that's just at soapcult.com.au? Yes. Okay. That's right. Fantastic. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure to chat with you today. Thank you for letting us dig into your business and uh, kind of sharing what you've gone through. And I think you're going to do just fine. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. I'm very happy to have yep, been involved and I could talk about this for a few more hours without a doubt. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we'll have to re- have you come back for a revisit in the future yes. and sort of see how it's all gone. Yeah, 12 months on. What are the stats like now? How are things going? <laughs> that sounds good. Yep, Thanks, I'll Leah. You in. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Thank you. Bye. I hope you enjoyed that one. I love chatting with Aaliyah. My uh, podcast editor actually joked that she couldn't tell our voices apart <laughs> some of the time. We we did uh, were born and grew up very close by to each other, like within an hour or two of each other. So we have the same accent, uh, Southeast Queensland accent going on there. So that was quite funny. Uh, big thanks to Aaliyah for coming on the show and chatting about her business experience with us. Now, if you do want help setting up your business and your shop online, do not forget to come and join us for Setup Shop, createandthrive.com forward slash setup shop to register to find out when the course launches, which will be very soon. Or even if you're listening to this a week or so after it comes out, it might be now. So I'd love to have you come and join us for that in October. It's going to be awesome. And if you are good with that, but branding is something that you want some more help with, I got a course for that too. That's uh, it was written for me uh, by a professional graphic designer. It's a short course. It's a self-study course. So you sign up, get your first lesson straight away, and you get uh, a lesson a day for, I believe, 14 days. So you can find that over at createandthrive.com. Just look at the shop section and brand your craft is the name of that course. It's just been actually updated, I think, the end of last year. So there's lots of great uh, tips there. It'll take you through the process of doing a self-branding. 
if you just want to DIY it at this stage. So you can check that out over there as well. Huge thanks and shout out to all the members of my membership community, The Thriver Circle. They are who make this podcast possible. As you know, I don't have ads in this podcast, except for my own stuff, obviously. <laughs> uh, so the only way I can afford to keep this running is by the generous support of my students and people who buy my courses and my memberships. So if you have ever been a student of mine or you've bought a membership or a course, thank you. You are the one who is making this podcast possible. And if you do want to support the show, free ways to do it are to leave a rating or review, uh, send me an email, let me know that you're enjoying it. Uh, you know, let me know if there's any content you'd love to hear on the show. But financially, the best thing you can do is either send a donation via PayPal or join us in the Thriver Circle. And I think that's the better option, simply because you're going to get a whole lot out of that, being a member of that community, uh, our private community, all of the workshops, the live workshops I do every month, the calls, the live chats, there's so much in there that will help you grow your business on a monthly basis. It is a monthly subscription. You can sign up for just a month, see if it's for you. And if not, no, no worries. But if it is, and we've got some people in there who've been members for over five years now, which is amazeballs. So big, big, big thanks to those people. You know who you are, my awesome foundation members. Can't say thanks enough to you. And they're always there and they're wonderful people. Look, they're all wonderful people. You're all wonderful people. This community, honestly, I don't think I've ever met anyone in the Korean Thrive community who is not a wonderful person. So thank you for being here. Thank you for being wonderful people. Thank you for, you know, following your dreams, giving it a red hot go and uh, being willing to take a little bit of a risk and do something that you've been wanting to do. And I'm really proud of all of you who've made it a success. And if you haven't yet, you can. Thanks so much for being here. I'll be back again with another show very soon. Take care of yourselves and each other and goodbye for now.